0: Good morning, family. Everybody doing all right today? Turn to your neighbor and say, man, you look good this morning. Don't lie in church, God will kill you now. Be careful. (laughs) Hey, my name is Jared Humphreys. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, it's an honor to be here with you today. Um, I want to take care of a little bit of personal business. Some of you know, some of you may not know. Uh, My wife was up here singing a minute ago, but my oldest daughter and her husband, Tori and Daniel, they pastor our 412 students uh, y'all, they need prayer because they're in middle school, and that's a weird age. I can say that because I have one. It's all right. But anyhow, um, they let us know a little while back that uh, we're going to have a grandbaby come December. So, y'all, I'm not old enough, but it's okay. <laughs> anyway, we had, a, uh, we had a gender reveal. I'm, I'm fixing to tell a story on myself because I want y'all to know that I can be a knucklehead and it's okay, right? So we had this gender reveal a couple weeks ago. And I brought a picture, and, and in this moment, you're going to see me presenting Tori with a pink shirt. Now, a little bit of background. Renee had always said, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl, and I like to mess with people, so I would just, out of habit, say, no, it's a boy. I don't care. I just want it here, here and healthy, right? So uh, this was on a Tuesday. I left work that day, and uh, God reminded me, hey, don't be a knucklehead. You need to bring something to this, to this party. So I went stopped by Walmart, and then my flesh took over. So what you see is me presenting a pink shirt and and telling Tori that, uh, you know, I've been team boy all this time, but I went and bought the right shirt. What you don't see is the blue shirt that's in my other pocket, (laughs) because I'm going to win no matter what. (laughs) So anyhow, it's a cool moment. Um, I want to talk just for a few minutes this morning, um, mainly around the idea of missions and And what it means to go, Matthew 28, 19 says, go into all the, all the nations and make disciples. Okay. So with that in mind, we've had a couple of trips in the last month out of our campus. A couple of weeks ago, we had one go to Mexico and they sent me some pictures and and the story. So we had this team that went, we got a picture of the team. Yep. And so these guys, and I want you to notice, there's a lot of young people in there, like four twelve age kids. Man, I love being part of a church that believes in the next generation and, and is willing to take them across the earth. So what did they do while they were there? They were there for like a week, but around the weekend that we did our big serve outreach here in town. Anybody remember what, what we went out and did, serving people here in our community? Well, they took that attitude there and that, those efforts there. So there's this hospital, and there's lots of folks there that, that um, were waiting for treatment for, for themselves or their family or whatever. Some of have been waiting for months. And so our team put together some meals and actually delivered them out to the hospital and was able to, uh, to minister to them there. And then they also, yeah, they're, they're at the hospital there. So then they also went into a neighborhood and got to hang out with some kids, very similar to what we do with Adopt-A-Block. Uh, we've got a neighborhood that we go into from time to time. And then they also spent some time learning a song in Spanish and went to a nursing home and was able to spend some time with some elderly that can't get out and go do anything we do the same thing here. We have an adopt a nursing home outreach. And we did all of those on that serve day and they're doing this in Mexico. Such a cool thing. And then there's, there's one more picture where they, they got to pray with some people and man, that right there just speaks volumes to me. Out, out on a random street corner in Mexico, praying with somebody, so cool, so cool. Glad to be part of a church that, that understands the great commission to be able to go and do. Uh, Renee and I got to go on a trip to Germany. It's been about a month now. And we partnered with a, an organization named Kynos. Kynos is, is in the fight to end human trafficking and, and sexual exploitation. And so they've, they've got this huge thing that they're trying to do. And we took a team from our campus and a team from Little Rock. I brought a video that will kind of explain this a little bit better. Let's check this out. Our team traveled to Germany with the vision of being light in a dark place, being the hands and feet of Jesus, and standing up against the global evils of human trafficking and sexual exploitation by refusing to look away, and by speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We were able to spend a minimum of 46 hours on location in intercessory prayer. We passed out Bibles, Our team members were able to pray over many ladies who work in the sex industry and have conversations with them about rescue and the love of Christ. We got to take part in an eye-opening street event that started dozens of heartfelt conversations about the truth behind trafficking and brought awareness to what really goes on inside brothels. Each individual on our team received 18 hours of justice school training in Germany. We returned home with our hearts burning. To share what we learned with others, and with vision of how to take action in the mission field of our own hometown and state. Our plans range from prevention and awareness programs through educational trainings, community projects, street events, to partnering with local nonprofits to set up facilities to rescue and restore those who have been victims of human trafficking. Several team members are already part of the local nonprofit who bring the love of Christ and the power of prayer into the sex industry right here in Arkansas. We are standing united in this fight for the protection of women and children. The raising of a generation that will bring a shift to our culture and the total restoration and freedom for all enslaved. something about being in a foreign country that will change your perspective on what God's word says. It just comes alive when you're involved in the day-to-day going and reaching for people. And so today I want to talk for, for a little bit on uh, something that God showed me while we were there. Um, and it's, it's a, our definition of what justice should be. Um, and I want to look at this verse in Micah 6, verse 8, it says this, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I want to focus on that phrase that says, do justice. A lot of times when we talk about justice, the the first thing that comes to our mind might be our our government justice system, our our system of courts and the the things that we have to uphold are the laws of our nation. It's very definite we've got to have that. Uh, But that system is based on retribution. It's based on payment for wrongdoing. If you mess up a little bit, you might have to pay a fine. You mess up kind of in the middle, you'll have to serve a little bit of time. And and man, you really mess up, you might be in jail the rest of your life. And and that's to pay your debt to society in order to fix what's been done wrong. A lot of times we also carry a personal sense of justice. In other words, somebody has wronged me, and now they're going to have to pay. Uh, What they did to me hurts, and so I may not ever speak to them again. I want to be very careful to tell you I'm not going to to talk about our our government justice system. I'm not here to speak out against that. I want to talk about our personal definition of justice. And I think God wants to challenge us a little bit about maybe what that definition could be. You see, we tend to to judge based on this sliding scale. I've already mentioned it. You mess up a little bit, you might have to pay a fine. Um, Think of it like a scale of, of zero to 10. And so somewhere on the lower end of that, You've got like speeding on 167. I've got to get through this. I've got to win. I've got to get through this before somebody messes up and causes me to have to be delayed. Anybody ever been there? And so we'll drive 15 miles an hour over the speed limit through the death trap. Okay, that's got to fall at the lower end of that scale. Um, Anybody ever filed taxes and chased every deduction that you can think of? No lie. I read this on the internet, so it's got to be true. I'll just throw that out there. Okay. There was a lady in Oakland, California in 2004 that that filed her taxes and had this laundry list of deductions. And one of them on there was she wanted to claim the repair of her wet dry vac as a deduction. And so when they talked to her about this, she said, well, I volunteer at this animal shelter and the animals that I brought to my house meant that I have to clean my house over and over and over again. And it broke my wet dry vac. Well, then you find out she had like 70 cats in her house, seven zero, like one demon in your house is bad enough, but 70, (laughs) yeah, they didn't let her claim that as a deduction, but she tried. But even, you know, our natural, our natural tendency is that's got to be at the lower end of that scale. If I were to ask you who was the most evil person that ever lived? And you had to think about it and write that answer down. I could just about guarantee that in in the majority of the people's minds, Hitler's somewhere in the top three. Okay? Why? Because what he did. I mean, he he tried to wipe out an entire race. Um, But let me pose this question. We we have no record of this. This is just a hypothetical. If Hitler found God on his deathbed and repented, and, and God says, come live with me in heaven, could you live in eternity with Hitler in heaven? Knowing what we know now, our human flesh says absolutely not. That dude's psycho, okay? But God's justice is different than ours. And that's what I want to look at today. We tend to think that our value is based on where we are on that sliding scale. Like we want to be a good person, so we don't ever want to go beyond two or three on, on that scale. And if, if we get to four or five, then we, we start thinking, man, what... How is God going to love me? How is, how is God going to take me into his family? You ever been there? I mean, we all struggle with this. I, so I want to look at at the two verses that preceded Micah 6, 8 that I read a minute ago. Because the writer here poses some questions that I think explain this a little better. And, and maybe it's some questions that we struggle with. Micah 6, 6. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And then he goes on to say, this is what God wants. He wants you to go do justice. Okay. But Let's look at these questions a little bit. Uh, right off the bat, I want us to notice that, that this guy's saying, I, I need to please God. And, and that's something that we all feel. Now, maybe some of us have recognized what that desire is, but every person is born with that God-shaped hole inside of us that only He can fill, that only He can take care of. And until we recognize that that's what that is, we tend to fill our lives with all kinds of stuff. We'll go chasing careers, we'll go chasing money, we'll go chasing hobbies, hobbies and habits, and and yes, chasing <laughs> hobbits. You caught that, right? We worship the King of Kings, not the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Kidding. That's not even in my notes. <laughs> yes. James is dying inside. It's all good. <laughs> so let me bring this back. We, we've got to fill this hole inside of us that, that only God can fill. And we all recognize that, that man, we've messed up. And we, t- we, can, we tend to think that, I got to pay something to make this happen. Look at Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Welcome to New Life Church. We'd love to make you feel better about yourself. (laughs) Everybody has messed up, all right? But I want you to look around. You're in good company because every last one of us, you're in a room full of broken people. We just recognize we need a savior, right? (laughs) Right? Those first couple of suggestions, those first couple of questions that this writer poses should I bring a burnt offering? Should I bring a a calf? These are things that God had instructed the Israelites to do. And so I can kind of see this writer struggling. Like, I know I need to do something to please God, and I know what He's told me to do, but is that enough? Because you don't know how bad I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've messed up and how far away from God I've gone. And so you can kind of see the progression here. Okay, this is what he says that I needed to do, but, but I feel like I need to do more. Do I need to bring him a 1,000 calves? Like I only own three or four, I'm gonna have to go steal some. Should I bring him 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Anybody got more than three bottles of olive oil in your house? No? How are you gonna find 10,000 rivers? And then the ultimate, do I need to sacrifice my firstborn child to please God? Man. You see where this question, when, when your sense of justice is out of whack, you see how far it'll lead you? Like, I've, I've got to go commit sin to please God. Sacrificing the firstborn is murder. But yet, we think we have to do that in order to please God. So where do we, where do we shift our definition of justice? You've got to go back to how the Bible talks about it. There's several words that are used throughout the Bible. The, one of the predominant ones is the word Shalom. So Israelites will use this to say hello and goodbye even till this day. What does shalom mean? Shalom includes wholeness or everything that makes for people's well-being, their security, and in particular, the restoration of relationships that have been broken. So when somebody says to you shalom, their prayer is that God would restore you, that your relationship With them and with God would be restored. Justice, therefore, is about repairing broken relationships. And man, throughout the Bible, we see this at work from Genesis to Revelation. You look at the story of Adam and Eve. God created everything. He created Adam. He said it's not good that man's alone, so he makes him a wife. And then they get to live in Eden They get to name all the animals. They can eat anything they want except for those two trees over there that God said leave alone, but they can have everything else. They got no kids. They got no in-laws. They got no clothes. It's like the perfect place, (laughs) right? And then they messed it up. And now we know why wives will never decide where to go to eat because (laughs) the last time this happened, all of mankind fell into sin. It's a terrible joke. But then there's, there's the sin and there's the fall. And, and God says there's got, to be, there's got to be a consequence for this. But watch what happens. You, look, you read the Genesis chapter three and it says that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Anybody ready for fall weather? I know I am, right? I would love to be able to hang out with God like that, okay? But before the fall, Adam and Eve didn't know they were naked. They had no shame. And then after the fall, the Bible says that they went and hid from God in shame. So after God says, you're going to have to get out of Eden, what's the one thing he did? He made them clothes to cover their nakedness. Why? He said, I want you to know that no matter what happens to you, I don't allow shame in your life. When I restore your relationship, that shame is gone. It's just gone. He covered it up and said, your past is is not gonna define your future. That's the restoration of relationship. You look at David. David became the king of Israel, and then he falls into adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. She winds up pregnant. How are you gonna cover that up? She's married. Well, I'm gonna send her husband off to war, and I will put him on the front lines even though he's a high-ranking officer, knowing that he's gonna be killed. So he commits murder to cover up adultery. The prophet comes to him one day and says, you know what, you're the guy. You did this. So there's this accountability meeting. But you read about David falling on his knees and, and getting back in right with God and his relationships restored. And, and later in the Bible, he's known as a man after God's own heart. With that kind of start, he became a man known after God, God's heart, the restoration of relationship jesus and the thief on the cross Um, okay so maybe some of you guys are bible scholars more than i am but i I really thought that crucifixions were saved for like political statements the worst of the worst maybe a a statement against a nation that they're conquering the bad guys the bible says these guys are thieves what did they steal i'm gonna have to ask god that when i get to heaven because i don't understand that but They're presented with a choice. What do I do with Jesus? They're in the process of dying. One of them says, no, I don't want you. The other guy says, hey, when you get into your kingdom, just remember me. And what did Jesus do right there on the spot? He restored that relationship and said, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. God's definition of justice. It's one of the most important characteristics of God that we could ever understand. We love to sing about the love of God. We love to talk about the love of God. We love to focus on the fact that God is love. But the truth is, if if your sense of justice is off whack, you're gonna tend to think that God is sitting up in heaven with a hammer, ready to nail you the first time you mess up. And that is just not the way it is. He loves you right where you're at. But his sense of justice says, I love you too much to leave you there, okay? David describes God's justice as this. He says he's father to the fatherless, Psalm 68, five. He's defender of widows. He's, this is God whose dwelling is holy. He's talking about God loving and defending those that have no economic or social power. Back in those days, widows were just outcasts. They could bring nothing to anyone, to society. And David says, God loves them just as much as he loves you. God's sense of justice. When we do justice, We do the same thing. David said again in Psalm 82, he's telling us, defend the weak and fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Isaiah says it like this in chapter one, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. When we begin to do justice the way God says, we're going to restore relationships. We naturally think, when we're left to ourselves, we think we've got to fall into Micah 6, 6 and 7. What can I bring God? Like like I've messed up too bad. There's no way that he would want me in his family, much less he would want me to do anything for him. But can I remind us that Jesus paid it all? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid everything it takes to restore this relationship. Remember I read Romans three we've all sinned and we've missed God's mark. I'm so glad the Bible doesn't end right there because that's a horrible place to live. Yes, we have to recognize that we've sinned, but there's gotta be the next step. I wanna read Romans three twenty four. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. All are justified freely. I heard a guy say earlier in life, you want to know the the definition of the word justification. It's just as if I had never done it. We're going to break it down simple. Justification, just as if I had never done it. It doesn't matter what I've done in my life. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. When you have this moment with God and he restores your relationship, it's just as if none of that had ever happened. We're talking about the God that knows everything about everybody. He knows the number of hairs on your head and he chooses to forget our sins and cast them in a sea of forgiveness. Y'all, I don't understand that level of forgiveness. But Jesus paid it all. There was a guy named Matthew Henry in the 1800s. He's a, a scholar of the Bible. He took the entire Bible and broke it down like word by word, verse by verse, phrase by phrase. You go buy the hardback copies of his commentary and it's like an entire shelf worth of books. He says it like this, talking about about doing justice. The good which God requires of us is not the paying of a price for the pardon of sin and the acceptance of God. We don't have to pay for that. Jesus already did that. But the good that God requires of us is doing the duty which is the condition of the pardon which was purchased. Y'all, I've been forgiven of a lot. You've been forgiven of a lot. And God doesn't require that we pay for that forgiveness, but he does require that we do something with it. We can't just sit back and enjoy it. God's justification is immediate and permanent. And when we fully recognize that in our lives, we'll get bold about sharing the opportunity that we've been given. I learned a few things while we were in Germany. It's a very quiet culture. You guys are getting nervous because it's quiet. Y'all would not last in Germany, like on on the public transit. Nobody talks. The sense of community that we enjoy is not there. Um, it's all about what can you do to further the the country. Very little care for human life, even now. Very little care for interpersonal relationships. Y'all were blessed. Okay. It's very quiet and also very much on purpose. When they tell you they're gonna start something at 10.15, you better be there by 10.10 10, or you're gonna be late. The bus says it leaves at 9.45, it will leave you even if you're two steps away from it. When they say they're gonna do something, they do it. But I also learned while I was there, I noticed that I could hear God's voice probably stronger than I ever have in my entire life. It's not a kooky thing. I never have heard an audible voice, but I knew that God was speaking to me. I knew that he was dropping thoughts into my heart and telling me where I needed to go, what I needed to say, what I needed to do. Why? Because that's what we were doing. The intense focus of being there for an entire week. But man, I also noticed that God's love is incredible. We had some ladies. I, I couldn't put this kind of stuff in the video because they won't let you in there, and, and we would never show it in this kind of setting. But some of the ladies on our team actually went into brothels where it's legal. And we're able to pray with ladies in there. And my wife will tell you that you know obviously your heart breaks for them because a lot of them are, are there against their will. But God began to break our team's heart for the guys because they just don't know. They've never had this moment where they've been restored to God, where God has wiped away all of their junk and started them on a new path. God's love is just as real to them as it is to us. Sometimes that's that's hard to understand. His ways are definitely higher than our ways. So I wanna leave us, Just real quick with a a, a couple of things that we can go and do. We've got homework out of this sermon, okay? Number one, you gotta slow down and get quiet. Y'all, we live in a crazy busy world, noisy. There are so many voices vying for our attention. There are so many things that says, hey, look at me, hear this, do this. You're not measuring up to society if you're not here and you've got to go here and you've got to fill 20 hours a day and survive on four hours of sleep. Man. We had no cell service. I didn't want to pay for international fees. We had very limited Wi-Fi and so the phones were just useless other than taking pictures. So that went away. All of social media went away. Texting, email, all the things that we just take for granted. And to slow down and open my mind to, to hear God. For those of you that are married, if your conversations with your spouse are only logistical level, like you're only talking about how to get the kids to and from school and to sports and where we're going to go for dinner, and you don't have a, a spouse, you have a roommate. And if our conversations with God are only this laundry list of things that we need him to do for us, we don't have a relationship with him. We've got an ATM machine. And he's never meant to be that. He wants relationship. So what do you do when you, when you find that person you want to date? What, what do you talk about? You don't talk about schedules. You don't talk about things you need to go do and painting the house and mowing the yard. No. You spend time finding out about that person, finding out what drives them, finding out what tweaks them. What can I do to help this person? What can I do to love this person? And that's what our conversations with God need to be. And how do you do that? You slow down. So the challenge for this one, find five minutes in the next week, but spend the first 90 seconds of it completely silent. And it's gonna be weird. About 30 seconds in, you're going to think you're going nuts, but push through and then don't bring God a list. Spend time with him. Talk with him. Let him talk to you. He's waiting on this. I promise you that. Psalm 46.10 says this, be still and know that I'm God. James mentioned being at the the foot of the giant mountains and Realizing how small we are. I had very much the same experience at the Grand Canyon last year. You see these giant wonders of nature. And in those moments, you just naturally, you shut up and you just look. God says, how big am I? Look at me. Spend time with me. Number two, open your eyes to see what God sees. We've got to start looking. Those of us that that are Christ followers, we've got to start looking at people the way God does. And, and, and when we do, man, it's, it's just incredible because he loves them just as much as he loves you. It's easy to forget that. If we live on that sliding scale and we look at other people through that sliding scale, it's easy to think, well, they're too far away and, and it's gonna take them a minute to get back. And they're going to have to do this, 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 this before God will accept them. Jesus says it like this, John 4, 35. You know the saying, there's four months between planting and harvest. It's it's just natural that there's time to progress. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. There are people that we don't know how ready they are because we don't know what God's been saying to them in the quiet. We don't know what God's been saying to them at night when they're trying to go to sleep. So don't put a timeline on God. Open your eyes and see people the way he does. And then finally, you got to take a step of faith and let God lead you. So I'd never been on a missions trip before. Never even considered it. And I know that may be shocking for some of you to hear, but you know, It's the truth. And then so Renee started talking to me about going to to Germany. And and the more I thought about it and prayed about it, okay, we got to go. And then that step of faith to go and be there. It's incredible. It might seem that it's impossible to change the world just because of the sheer numbers the numbers of what we were dealing with in germany would would scare you but you look around here how many hundreds of thousands of people live within 20 miles of cabot and then how many thousands attend church and have a relationship with god the numbers there are way out of whack and it might seem that it's impossible to to change the world but why if it was impossible why did god tell us to do it why did he say go and make disciples. He didn't say, go try. He didn't say, think about it, pray about it. He said, go. (laughs) His interest in telling you to go has nothing to do with the outcome. That's up to him anyway. Has nothing to do with even our expectations of what might happen. That's up to him anyway. He just wants our willing hearts to take a step of faith and let him lead you. I wanna wrap up with with James too and and this can get punchy. I don't want it to be, okay? I want this to to challenge us, okay? So while I'm reading this, I want you to be thinking and asking God, who is that, that person that needs a restoration that I can go to? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody you know. But let's think and pray about that while I read this this passage out of James. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a great day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. What's God telling you about that person, that family? You see, God wants to reach them and he wants you to help. He wants to reach them through you. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody. We're going to continue going to the ends of the earth. We've got missions trips scheduled all next year. I'd love for you to pray about being part of that see how you can help with with going to the ends of the earth but I don't want us to forget that our strongest efforts need to be focused here locally one of the last things Jesus said before he left this earth is that you're going to receive power and then you're going to go be witnesses and then he names a list of places and he starts with Jerusalem right where they live And it ends up at the uttermost parts of the world. Faith without action is dead. So what is God asking you to do? Maybe you're here today and you've never had this kind of experience that I'm talking about. You too can take these exact same steps. You can get quiet and hear from God. He's calling you into relationship with him. You can open your eyes and see who you are. We sang a song a minute ago that says, I am who he says I am. And then you can take the step of faith in relationship with him. Let's pray. God, we're humbled to be in your presence. We're thankful to be here and that you're here with us. God, some of us are feeling challenged and the desire and and the need to go and, and help. I pray, God, you would give us faith to step out on that, to act on it, to not let this just slide by and continue living normal daily life. But God, I pray you would change us. Help us to see the way you do. Help us to notice the little things help us to find a way God to help somebody if you're feeling that call this morning I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you because I know that God desires to call us into action God I thank you for the hearts that you're working on. I know, God, that you desire to reach people and you desire to use us. Give us faith to step out, God. Give us courage to just go do it and leave the results in your hands to know that that we're doing your will. Maybe you're here today and You need the restoration. Maybe for the first time, maybe it's been a while. God is interested in you. And I want you to recognize the army of people that he is calling into action to show you his love and to help you in this restoration process. If that's you, raise your hands and let me pray with you. I need relationship with you stronger than I've ever had it. Yeah. God, I know that you're here with us. I know you're calling us into action. You're calling us into relationship. Help us, God. I pray, God, that you would give us boldness to live for you and to further your kingdom. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're thankful for the word, let's give him a hand.